there's going to be maybe a long list of words that people spoke. And maybe a lot of those words had Jesus' name in it, but Jesus is no fool. And he's going to know the hearts and the quality of men. And he's going to know rather their fruits were rooted and born from him or if they were empty. He's going to know that. And every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. Anybody here want to bear good fruit? (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. I definitely do. So let me pray real quick as we get started. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you from all of my brothers and my sisters here in Christ, Father. I thank you for spiritual fathers, Lord, and uh, just men and women that you're putting together, Lord, that you're building up your church. You're giving gifts to your people, that the fullness of God, the glory of Jesus Christ, it was your will, Jesus, to pray, would be given to the church. And so I pray this morning that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we're going to look at uh, three ways or three, three things that we really need to talk about to have a life that bears good fruit, a life that bears good fruit. The first thing in a Christian's life that we need to understand in order to bear good fruit, right, to have good works, to have, have a life of power. I, I, I quote this all the time, but it's probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power, right? Kingdom of power. That's what, that's what it says. And the first thing is the source. The source. What is the source of our fullness? What is the source of our power? What is the source of, of our love, of our ability to even bear good fruit, right? Where does that come from? I want to start this morning by reading from John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7, I believe. John 4, verse 7. So, Jesus is returning to Jerusalem, and instead of being a normal Jew and going around Samaria, he says, I must, I must go to Sychar. And in Sychar, he stops at the well. He's thirsty. He's tired. It's probably been hot out there, you know. And there's this well, and he stops. And there's a woman there in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day, alone at this well. And in verse 7, it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? 
Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. You know, there's a, there's a parallel passage to this if we turn real quick to John 7 as well. Starting in verse 37, Jesus uses very similar words. He says, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit at that time was not yet given because Jesus was not glorified. Was not glorified. You know, Jesus says that he himself is able to give water living water, a water that doesn't just quench thirst, but that then takes root and sprouts out and and comes forth from our heart, right? Uh, 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 As a fountain of water, a fountain of water that is not just enough for you, not just adequate for your thirst for the moment, but adequate to continue filling you, to continue satisfying you in every area of your life, wherever you go, wherever you're at for all time. And this fountain of water is not just for us, but should be a life-giving source to the people around us. But it's very easy. Let me say it like this. It's, 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 uh, it's hard to forget, obviously. We hear it so often, but it's very easy to forget that Jesus is the source of of life. Jesus is the source of living water. Jesus is the source of power and satisfaction and fulfillment. Not the things about Jesus. Not just Bible studies. Not just prayer times. Not just worship songs. Not just gatherings. Not just, you know, right-wing, Judeo-Christian, gun-toting political systems. Okay? We, we, um, we have something going on every single night except for Saturday and Sunday nights. And then things might happen, but nothing's set. Okay, we've got Bible school three days a week. We've got college ministry. We've got youth groups. We've got Blueprint. We've got home church. Some of those even overlap on each other. And I go and preach at Pathway. I mean, there's something literally every single night. And it's a place where people from the community can come. They can find fellowship. They can hear the word of the Lord you know, so on and so forth. But it's also a place where if you're that involved, you can show up every single night, sing every single worship song, read every single scripture, raise your hand at every single hallelujah and go home so exhausted, so drained and so empty. So empty. In fact, last Wednesday at the end of the service, that's kind of how I felt. I felt drained and tired and I was ready to go home. And then it, pretty much doubled up on me. And I realized the Lord was showing me that there are other people in that room feeling the same way. 
and I was able to encourage the body and send out some texts, and I just started seeing people's heads nods and people sending me texts back, thank you. I mean, it was, it was so, so real that this was happening, and it's because we forget that it's not Jesus' stuff that has any power. You know, the cross up on the hill, I love the cross, beautiful cross, beautiful sculpture garden, great place to do baptisms, but I see people going through and laying their hands on the cross and telling me they feel like power came from the cross And I just go, oh no, oh no, oh no. And it hurts my heart. Let me tell you something. There was no power in that cross. There was no power in that cross. None. You know what? If if a communist regime came to Kerrville, Texas and knocked that cross off the hill and scrapped it for parts, it would be sad. You know what? There would be no less power in Kerrville in the name of Jesus. No less power. No less power. And if we went up there and anointed it with holy oil, there would be no more power in that cross. It's a piece of metal. The only thing that it's worth is however much it reminds you of the Christ it signifies. That's the only worth in that cross. And of course, I'm not picking on the cross. It's just such a a large, you know, (laughs) impossible to ignore example. But Jesus himself, Jesus the person, Jesus the abiding spirit of God that has been given to us, that relationship, that fulfillment in him, that is the source of life. That is the water that that comes into the roots that have been founded in his love. If we have experienced the love of Jesus that we're supposed to be rooted in, it is the Holy Spirit that waters that plant and causes us to grow and causes us to grow. Psalm 1 tells us, blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God day and night. He will be like a tree planted next to streams of water where that nourishment is constant and constant and constant. Where are the biggest trees in Kerrville? Lewis Hayes? By the river? Right? Absolutely. Because there's constant nourishment. It doesn't say, blessed is the man who reads the word day and night. I'll tell you what, I could read a couple chapters. Sometimes if I'm really going, I could maybe even read a whole book. Uh, You know, maybe not a big book, not Isaiah, that's for sure. But I could read a whole book, you know what I mean? But I can only read so much, and then I'm tired. I can only read so much, and I can only get so much. But I can meditate on God's word in my heart all day. I can ask the Lord to teach me, to guide me, to show me all day. I can ask, Lord, what do you want me to do with this word all day? And there will be a hundred times more fruit in the Lord. How should I walk this? Lord, where will I go? Lord, what does this actually mean? hundred times more fruit than the five hours of reading through a scripture that you never revisit in your mind afterwards. Because there's the connection with Jesus Christ who wants to use your life to bear fruit that makes the difference. And it's a well that is constant, that is overflowing, but that we have to draw from. We have to draw from. We have to draw from. And we can be engaged in a lot of religious things and not ever take a drink. Not ever take a drink. Jesus, the indwelling person of Christ, is that living water, is that living water. He is the source, right? The second thing we need to understand is what is our purpose? What is our purpose in that? You know, I love, 
the response to Jesus, we read John 4, the Samaritan woman, and uh, the conversation actually continues. And she gets real defensive and, oh, well, you know, y'all worship over there and we worship over here. And, you know, one day the Messiah is going to come and he'll know what he's talking about, <clears throat> unlike you. And uh, that's my interpretation of that passage. And he goes, oh, the Messiah. Oh, you know what? You're so right. Oh, by the way, that's me. Oh, I'm sorry. Is your foot still stuck in the mouth? Let me, let me pull that out real quick. He says, I am he. I am that Messiah. And that experience, that personal experience with Jesus is so powerful. I don't even think he, he had to tell her what he wanted her to do. She just ran back into the city and she told the whole city, I met a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And the whole, the entire city, because of one woman who the day before was an outcast, because of that rejected woman's word, the whole city came out and met Jesus. And two or three days later, they had asked him to stay, stay with him a couple of days. And they told the woman, now we believe and know that he is the savior of the world. Not because of your words, but because we have seen and heard him ourselves. What an amazing testimony. That as Christians, as servants as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, is what we're called to be ambassadors, right? Second Corinthians. That is our purpose. I've been telling people for a while, you know, my idea of discipleship is, hey, hey, Ed, man, so good to meet you. I love you, Ed. Good. Hey, I want you to meet my buddy, Mike. Ed, Mike, Mike, Ed, they start talking, I can leave. They don't need me to have a conversation, do they? Now, they might have needed me to be introduced they might have needed me to help break the ice and to get to know each other a little bit, right? To provide some background, to make a connection. But once that connection's made, once they know each other, they can call, they got, they got cell phones, I think. They got some sort of phones, right? They can keep in contact. The point is, my job is not to... Um, be a really good example of Jesus forever to one person, but is to be a really good handholder that can step someone to Jesus and teach them how to have a relationship with him so that when they see him and when they hear his words themselves with their ears, with their hearts, in their mind, in the spirit, when God moves on someone's heart, when God speaks to them intimately and they're born again, and the Spirit of God fills that person. They don't need me anymore. Doesn't mean we don't have fellowship. You don't, you know, analogies only go so far. Uh, but they don't need me to know Jesus. I can back out of the way to some degree, and that relationship can flourish as long as that person's willing to let it flourish. And that is our purpose in a lot of ways is to make that connection between lost people and the one who justifies the ungodly. However, Jesus also tells us that we need to abide, right? We need to abide in him. My notes are a little scattered. 
Um, does anybody here know what the word abide actually means? To stay with, to dwell in, okay. Anything else? To join with. Okay, it's really interesting. The, the number one I hear, number one thing I hear when we talk about the word abide is to dwell in, to stay with, and definitely means those two things. But when you look up the definition of abide, those are like the two things it does not list. It's really weird. Um, you know what it does list as a definition and as the synonyms to the word abide? It means to conform to, to accept, to obey, to receive as a command, right? And Jesus tells us to abide in his word, to abide in him. And in the same chapter, he says that when we abide in him, the father, he makes reference to the father, he makes reference to the son, and he makes reference to the Holy Spirit. He says, we will abide in you. We will make our home with you, which is like where the dwell in, right? We will make our home with you. And if you continue to abide in me, conform to me, obey my voice, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit, right? Because we stay connected to that source. I'm going to turn to John 15, 14 and 15, just quickly. I'm just going to read a couple things through here. I honestly, I had so much I wanted to say this morning. I couldn't even, I couldn't even get my head wrapped around it. John 14 verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. Do we believe that? And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what abiding in his word means. Reading it, understanding it, meditating it, and obeying it. Keeping it before your face at all times, right? And he will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, the Holy Spirit, may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and for us is in us. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Later in 15, I'm not going to read, I'll paraphrase. In chapter 15, it says, he says, I am the vine, you are the branch Remain in the branch. Stay connected to that source of life. Otherwise, you will wither. But if you stay connected, you will bear fruit, right? And what I love about the book of Acts is it shows us all these promises, all these purposes that Jesus has given us. He said, go out and make disciples. He says, when you make a disciple, baptize them. After you've baptized them, teach them to obey my commands. Oh, and by the way, I'll be with you forever. I'll be with you the whole way. In Mark 16, the same command, he says, oh, and if you truly believe in me and if you truly do this, you go out with my gospel, you'll cast out demons, you'll heal the sick, you'll be bitten by vipers and it won't be a problem, you'll drink poison, it won't be a problem. And it says at the end of Mark 16, and they went out proclaiming the gospel. You want to put up Mark 16, uh, uh, 18, 
through 20. Yeah, just put an 18. You can go down from there. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Next verse. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. You know, I, I love it's always the little things that are almost too simple to even talk about that always have the strongest effect, I think. And I, it's, so, it's so amazing, like such a, such a deep biblical principle. They heard his words and then they went out <laughs> and they simply did what he told them to do. And he was with them to provide all the power necessary to fulfill right? They didn't have to be good enough first. They didn't have to be qualified enough first. They didn't say, okay, let's go get like a a three-part series to the gospel presentation and like my little three circles diagram, you know, which those things are great. But they went out and simply let the Holy Spirit lead them in obedience. And God shows up. When you're scared out of your mind and have no idea what you're doing, that's a pretty good place to be because God shows up to fulfill his purpose. And finally, Jesus has these promises for us. Again, every, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. But his promise is, if we would abide in his word, if we would abide in the person, the full person of Jesus, to obey, to allow him to conform us to who he is, to get out of our comfort zones, right? To be well, let me say this. What, what was the Holy Spirit's number one job to do in a believer? The one thing Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to empower you. That's what he said. And there's a lot of stuff about how the Holy Spirit empowers you. But the Holy Spirit only empowers you really for one purpose. And Jesus says in Acts 1. Does anybody know what it is? Jesus says, when the promise of the Father comes, he will empower you in Acts 1 to be witnesses to Jerusalem, to all Judea, and even to the ends of the earth. The one purpose God has given us through his son, through his spirit, through himself, is to be a witness of Jesus Christ. That one, and he promises that if you will dedicate yourself, if you will abide in his command to be a witness, he will be your helper, he will be your teacher, He will be your guide. He will provide the counsel. He will provide the signs and the accompanying power. Anything you need, seek first my kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. That is Jesus' promise to us. But it's attached to his call, right? There's a call. And so I just want to encourage you as you hear these words today, as Jesus speaks to you from his words, How long, what will the gap be like before we hear and go out? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord. I thank you that you've given us the witness of your word, Lord, that uh, through the preaching, the foolish preaching of Jesus Christ, Lord, that apart from any good deeds, that we might be saved and born again through the blood of Jesus, 
Lord, through, through simple acts of faith and trusting that your payment was enough for us, we could be freed of all the guilt of shame and called into an intimate relationship with you. Called into joining your work, Father. And Lord, I thank you that as we join your work, Lord, there is no greater joy that earth has to offer than be to, to be one with your purpose. And so, Father God, I pray for everyone in this room, myself included, that you would show us where our place in that purpose is, Father. How can we be a witness in the light to our family, to our neighbors, Lord, to the cashiers, to the waitresses, Father God? We just ask that you would be with us and that you yourself would teach us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.